we attain new creation. I, uh, you know, I think about just the joy of babies being born. And we've been a community that last year we had a new baby every month born in our community. So like we were like, wow, that doesn't get any better than that. You know, that new creation, babies born, celebrations, meals, squeezing. I mean, wow, that's pretty great. And a couple of those were my grandkids, so that's even better for me. And then, then you take that beautiful picture and then you kind of contrast it with the, the, these tragedies that were happening. That, you know, the thing in Florida was the 29th mass shooting that we've had in America since January. I mean, it's like, it's like well, something's not right. And so that disturbs me. You know, I'm celebrating on one hand, then I'm really disturbed about our culture on the other hand. And I could go, there's things. So then I begin to wonder, because I really do believe that Jesus brought, he initiated into our world. I want to begin something on the earth that's better on the earth. So not ju- it's not just about personal improvement. I mean, I'm really, really grateful that someone invited me to follow Jesus. I'm really grateful that when I started to follow Jesus, I began to discover, wow, forgiveness for my sins. I began to, f- to find wisdom for how I lived. I mean, I'm really grateful. I, I, I mean, yeah. But it goes beyond just me or you. It's not just a personal proposition. Jesus entered our world to begin to change our world for the better. Not just the people one by one, but all of it. So that he's promising a new heaven and a new earth. And that begins now. Now, it's not just a later proposition. So there's this ebb and flow, this tension between, are we making progress or are we not making progress? I mean, just uh, do, you, do you wonder about that? Does that ever? So really the passage today, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting way to get to the answer of this, but I think that it's a really important question to ask as we go through Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. So I just want, I just want you to invite, I want you to come along. You know, we're just, we are journeying through Mark. We're following Jesus. So Jesus is on the move. Uh, all of Jesus' ministry up to this point in Mark has happened in Galilee and kind of this northern part of Israel. So it's primarily been in Galilee, and I can't quite reach up to Capernaum. Capernaum's been home base, but Jesus has wandered out over to the land of Gentiles. He's wandered out to the Decapolis. There's Gentiles over there. He's come to this side, to the sea, then he's gone back over here. But he hadn't come down here, which is Judea. He hasn't gone to the region beyond the Jordan, which I should also point out. Jews did not walk through Samaria, because that's where the half-breeds lived. So if you're going to go, if you're a good Jew, you want to get to Jerusalem, you always left Galilee, you'd go this side and come in but you would avoid going to Samaria. Jesus won't do that because he's going to, I mean, he's going to reach out to the Samaritans too. So that's where we are. And it's really like you, when you, if you read, there's things that Mark keeps repeating. And one of the things he repeats is everywhere, wherever Jesus goes, a crowd gathers. So now we've got, he's crossed into Judea and a new crowd gathers. And whenever a crowd gathers, what does Jesus do? He starts teaching. 
So if you ever wonder, like when people gather together in the name of Jesus, you know, would we ever stop teaching? I would say, well, let's not do that because that's like what Jesus did. So whenever crowds gather, you want to teach something. So that's what Jesus is doing. Now, not only does a crowd come, but now Pharisees show up as well. Now, the Pharisees have shown up. They've sent people up to check on Jesus in Galilee. But now Jesus has crossed into their territory. There's more kind of the concentration of Pharisees around Jerusalem is greater than in Galilee. Galilee was kind of like, you know, the territories out there. But now Jesus has come a little bit closer. So these Pharisees show up. So I want you to learn a little bit about Pharisees. I know you, you know the term, but it literally means the separated ones, the separatists. And they're the organized followers of the experts in interpreting the Old Testament scriptures. Those interpreters were called scribes. And it was the purpose of the Pharisees to take the pattern of the pious Israelite as established by the scribes. So the scribes went through the Torah, first five books of the Bible, the law. And they decided, if you were a pious Israelite, this is what you'd look like. So once they delivered that, then the the Pharisees are saying, well, that's who we want to be. So they begin to put it into practice as nearly as possible. They became the most embittered opponents of Jesus and the early church. Now, think about that for a moment. Scribes are studying the first five books of the Bible. Those first five books of the Bible come from where? Huh? The Torah. The to- where's the Torah come from? Moses. I mean, Moses. Did Moses write it? Not, not in the sense. Is, his, is Moses the author of the Torah? God. This is God's word. So God's word to Moses for the nation of Israel, still being interpreted. Guys, trying to live it out. And what, what? They were the most embittered opponents of Jesus? Does that just, that ought to disturb us. I mean, I wish I, I wish I could, okay, every, every time we study the Bible, we just turn out wonderful. Ooh. Wow. Wow. The scribes practiced casuistry, which is the interpretation of the Torah and that their conclusions for Jewish ethics came from that. So they we're talking about they resolve specific cases of conduct through the interpretation of religious doctrine. So basically what that means is Moses wrote something from God, and there was year after year after year after layer after layer after layer of case law. This happened. Based on this, we did this, and then we did this, and we did this, and we did this. So it's just just this interpretation after interpretation that grows, that grows, that grows, that grows, and grows. And that's what they practiced. And they're showing up at this boundary between Galilee and Judea. To put Jesus to the test. 
in a bad sense, not a good sense. They want to bring out something to be used against him. And because of the question they're going to ask, I'm thinking maybe we want to find out, does, does he agree with us concerning how we interpret the law, how we live out the law and our ethics? Is Jesus with us or is Jesus against us? They already have a suspicion this guy is not for us. So up until now in Mark, Jesus has avoided confrontation with the Pharisees. Every time they show up, Jesus says to the disciples, we need to go this way and get out of here. Or they come across the Sea of Galilee, they're like, oh, we got to go back across the Sea of Galilee. So in, in this Galilean, he is not, he's not, there's not been these, this confrontation. They've had a little conversation. But now he's entering their territory and the confrontation is going to increase. And I really, this is one of those times I really, hey, Mark, you didn't tell us. You didn't tell us what Jesus was teaching. What was Jesus teaching the crowd? The only thing we could suppose is that he was teaching the same thing he was teaching everyone else. He's announcing the kingdom of God. He's announcing that God's on the move. God's, God's bringing something better. And he doesn't really tell us why the Pharisees chose to ask the particular question that they're going to ask. So we're kind of left with questions, which is good. So Mark 10, 1 to 12. Jesus left that place. That place was Capernaum, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds again gathered around him. And as was his custom, he began teaching them. Some Pharisees came to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for man to divorce his wife? I don't think Jesus was teaching on marriage that day. So I, again, I don't know where this question came from. And Jesus answered, What did Moses command you? And he said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, there's a contrast. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife faithfully, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Jesus, we need some explanation. <laughs> what were you talking about? What does that mean? Help us. And so Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, drawing from, there's a lot we could talk about. We could spend a long time on a lot of different topics that come out of this. So forgive me, if I don't cover the one that you're really itching to talk about, you know, let me know. But the, the Pharisees are focused on law. Is it legal? Is it legal? And they're drawing that from Deuteronomy 24, which says, Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman... But she does not please him. 
because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her to uh, her parents' home. And ladies, if you're getting a little bit nervous about that, yeah, you got it. This is a very, yeah, it's a very man-oriented world. There's not a similar verse about if a man, you know, does something that does not please the wife. There's not a verse like that in the Old Testament. There is some evidence that divorce was common, rather common in Jesus' day. And the, the, the scribes, they are attempting to, to legislate the ethics of divorce. We, we, there seems to be, a, you know, family, we need to, we just more law. That's the answer. We just got to have more law. There were two schools of Jewish interpretation. And maybe that's what, maybe that's what the, these Pharisees were trying to, where is Jesus? So one guy, Rabbi Shammai, uh, he was the most conservative school. And he said, there's only one reason that you can get a divorce under Jewish law. And that is if there's infidelity, you can, you can get a divorce. If your wife commits adultery against you, you can get a divorce. Again, it's not said the other way around. Ladies, gosh, we really needed Jesus to come along sooner. Now, if you went back into the Old Testament, they're actually not. They've softened what, what the Torah says. The Torah says if there's infidelity, what are you supposed to do? Stone them. Wow. And then it gives several instances. Wow. That was the conservative view. The other from Rabbi Hillel was... You can divorce your wife for whatever reason. So last night, Susan's cooking pasta. I said, I don't like that pot. You're cooking, you're cooking pasta in my least favorite pot. So if we were living under the law of Rabbi Hillel, I could say, so here's your certificate of dismissal and you're out of here. She would say, I'm not leaving. So maybe, maybe the rabbis are saying, hey, Jesus, what's your interpretation of law? What's your ethic? I don't know. But that's, that's what's going on in this event. And gee, there's this, this, again, just this mention of what did Moses say? So what authority are you going to listen to? So a couple of quotes, just again, just to try to orient us towards something that we can walk away with. Jesus repeatedly compared himself to Moses as the bringer of the true and definitive will of God. So, And one way you could say that is Moses did bring to the children of Israel the word of God and the will of God. This is what God wants. We're going we're to codex it, but this is what God wants us to do. Similarly, Jesus brings us something different. And then this is the thing you really want to listen to, and you also want to look for this when you're reading your Bible. Sometimes Jesus set the statutes of the Mosaic Torah in antithesis to the true command of God. What, that is some, what that's really saying is with this layer and layer and layer and layer of interpretation, by the time Jesus shows up, this interpretation is a long ways away from what God really said. And so Jesus is teaching something that is different 
antithetical, going different directions than what the Pharisees and scribes were teaching. Make sense? John, I just thought of John. I think John is really helpful. If you just if your head begins to swim in some of this, so you can go back to this. The law, indeed, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, indeed, that was given through Moses. In contrast to grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's law? No. Heart. Who's made Him known. So the antithesis between the Torah and Jesus' teaching, the true command of God, that's found in this passage. What did Moses command you? They said, well, Moses allowed a man to, to, to write a certificate of dismissal divorcer. Okay, that's what, that's what Moses said. But, Jesus said to them, that but is antithesis. Because of your hardness, your coldness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. And then, again, another but, antithesis, from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no one can separate. So Moses allowed for it. I'm saying that's not the original intent. So maybe you can begin to see something like this. The Bible is a story of the... I think it's the story of the history of humanity. And it begins with something very idealistic, very beautiful. Something that we would all want. A place, a relationship, a God who comes and is close. That's creation. But then that creation is interrupted because of rebellion. That rebellion, I think, came through deception. The evil one deceived Eve. She looked at something that God said not to do. And the evil one convinced her, no, it's okay to do it. And it wasn't okay to do it. And so that beautiful beginning of creation begins to fall. It begins to crumble. And it's really at that point that God says, I need to do something to get us back on path. Because this rebellion is going to keep going. And so you begin with law. Is law the way to get us back to something new? And if, if there's some, one thing we could say, we could say, that wasn't the path. But then came grace and truth. I think that's going to work. So we're going to end up new creation, not because of law, but because of grace and truth. Make sense? So then how do you interpret? How do you interpret what's going on? This passage. I'll give you two options because that's the only two I found. One, is Jesus giving a new law for those who follow him? Or 
is Jesus stating the extent of God's perfect will for humanity so that all might realize they are sinners who fall short of God's perfection, who are in need of God's grace, truth, mercy, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You can pick either one of those. I mean, those are legit. But then if you choose one of those, then you have to then connect it with your ethic. So then from interpretation, you move into to ethics. And again, you have two options. Kazustri, which Jesus is a new lawgiver. His teaching on divorce and remarriage are the new law for Christians. And then Matthew adds an accept, exception clause, and so then those that are following the new Christ in the new law then begin to argue about what that exception is. And you have all kinds of options there. That's one way to live this out. The other way is the way of grace and truth. Jesus exposes the cheap grace of the Pharisees and their reliance on their system of interpreting. Jesus radicalizes God's commands, removing any justification for one doing less than the ideal. Anything less than the ideal misses the mark of transformation and perfection. And so that we are actually not transformed by law, but by confession and forgiveness. We move toward new creation when we learn, when we learn to live with confession, repentance, forgiveness, faith, empowerment. By the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus in another place said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you can try to dance around that all you want, but there's really not a lot of ways to interpret that Greek word other than that means perfect. So the question all of, all of this raises, it's not, this is not just about what we think about marriage and divorce. This is, do, do we think we can create a perfect world? Do, do we think if we get all the laws right in the church or in the state that it's, we're going to have perfect? Do we think that? Because at times, I think that's what we do. We spend an awful lot of effort trying to get the right legislation. Now, that would be great. But it didn't happen in Jesus' day. And they're, they're dealing with not a constitution, but with a covenant from God. And law was not the way to get there. So will we, will we, I mean, will we attain, I mean, if we got all the rules right, would, would we attain perfection? The perfection that Jesus is talking about. In church law, civic law, would, would we? Or is what Jesus really trying to say is, the new creation that I'm introducing is only going to be attained by people that experience my grace and my truth. 
to experience that new creation comes when we realize that we, we all have, we're all coming out of old creation. And the only pathway forward is to confess. And in confessing to receive forgiveness, and not just from God, but from each other as well. And then to say, Holy Spirit, oh, Holy Spirit, Holy gosh, I can't do that. If you don't help us, we won't get there. And what does the Holy Spirit say? I'm glad to help you. Because I want this thing to move forward. I really want my creation to be restored to something better than it is. And the mechanism for that is grace and truth, not law. So, so what does that mean? What, what is, I mean, like, how, what does that mean? To personalize it, when I was 17 and I walked into the Reedus's living room for a summer young life club, the reality is I bore the marks of old creation. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was brought up in a family that was lost. My family was dysfunctional. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was horrific in trying to fix him. And I brought all that into this room. And without having to spill all of that, somebody looked at me and said, Hey, would you like to follow Jesus? And I said, Yes. And what did Jesus say? He said, when you get your act together, then you can follow me. You know what? If he would have said that, guess what? I still wouldn't be following him. Because I still don't have my act together. So again, that, that would be law. Get it, you know, dot all, dot all the I's, cross all the T's. Make sure you're following all the rules. Get all the right legislation. Then start following me. So he just just said, I want to take you where you are right now. Start right there where you follow me. Yes, I'll follow you. And And a lot of that, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have a clue as to how much he was going to transform me through the years. By grace and mercy, and truth, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this, I know that that old man, that old creation, has died again and again and again and again and again. And as long as I stay in the mode of confession, reception of forgiveness living dependent upon God's mercy and grace, living in a community that acknowledges mercy and grace, welcomes the Holy Spirit, empowerment. I know that the old is passing and the new is coming. And I know that cannot be legislated. 
I could also tell you there are times in my life that I, I failed miserably. And, it, and, and I came under those that thought they could legislate me back onto the right path. Guess what? I got better at sin. Law doesn't work. Trying to legislate us into new creation does not work. It doesn't work for any of us individually, and it does not work for our world. So there may be somebody that walks through our door someday. Somebody in worse shape than what I was when I walked into that young life living room. And would we look at that person and say, you know, you're breaking all the rules. You're living a despicable life. So, no, you're not welcome here. Would we do that? I hope not. Because really, I would put myself, I would see myself there. Could you see yourself there? So how do we become people? I think who recognize that law has its place in legislating the old that is passing away. But not bringing the new. So we have to live with this tension. Law has its place. We're glad Otto's going to law school. There's a reason for that. But Otto, when he graduates from law school, is not going to bring new creation to this world. He's going to legislate the old because of the rebellion of humanity. Right? Am I, am I is that true? <laughs> Good. So we, we're a new creation. And that new creation increases the more we rely on grace and mercy and truth and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Would you like to stand with me? One observation that I have on, on our generation, and maybe it's more my generation in the midst of a multi-generational time. Those of us on, alive at the same time on the planet. I think that the church... Again, led by people my age, have led the church astray. I think that we have led the church into believing that if we just get the laws right in our city or our county or our state or our nation, then we'd be okay. And sadly, this year, I would say that I have never, ever heard to the degree that I've heard it that the means are the end, the end of what we want, the end of what God wants, which is good stuff. 
wouldn't argue that at all. Good stuff. But the means of getting to the end don't matter. It's only the end. And I've never, ever in my lifetime heard the church adopt that philosophy. The end justifies the means. If you don't know what I mean by that, then let's have a, we can have a conversation. And so, so when, I, when I read this and I read this tension and I try to hear what Jesus is saying to us, then it's really this, this just come before you as transparent as I can be and just say, folks, we got to let go of the law and embrace grace and truth. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit works that out in your life, but I would like for you to at least take a moment with me and let's reflect upon that. Have we put too much of our hope on legal stuff, laws of our land, and not dependent enough upon grace and truth? So could we just take a moment and reflect on that? Holy Spirit, you are the one that convicts. You're the one that corrects. I do not want to, in any, I don't want to lay this on anybody. But Lord, if there is something within this question that you need to bring to the surface in our lives, I invite you to come. And to minister to us. To expose if, if we have created a dependency upon a mechanism that is passing. Rather than on what Jesus has brought into our lives to propel us forward. I ask that you would expose that. Jesus, I recognize that that we live at a time where we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers that exist in the heavenlies. Lord, if that spirit of Phariseeism that kept those Jews in bondage that came against Jesus, if that spirit has invaded the church, would you expose that spirit? Lord, if we are in any way modern-day Pharisees, relying upon law and legalism, would you expose that in our lives that we would be free from that bondage to receive grace and truth and forgiveness, your presence in our life? Holy Spirit, in this season of Lent, I've asked that you would take us through a time of personal and corporate examination. And Lord, if we have relied too much upon, put too much hope in law to change the course 
of our lives, of the course of our nation. To think that by law we would become better in your eyes. Lord, I ask that you would expose that and show us that possibly going down that route is really causing many to lose faith. Finally, Holy Spirit, I ask that you breathe the grace and the mercy, the faith, the humility, the ability to confess our sins to one another, forgiveness, restoration. Breathe all of that upon us so that we become a community that helps this world walk toward new creation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So with the thoughts I've shared today, there's some opportunity that some of you want to visit, and that's great. So if things have been said and you have questions and wonder, you know, let's get together and let's talk or talk with one another. Uh, I I would like to one last opportunity before we say farewell, and that is um, I, I do think that just being more legalistic than grace-oriented is a bondage. Then I think it needs to be broken. So if you have any sense that you're just kind of, just you just can't break out of being Mr. or Mrs. Legalist, then we can meet over here and do some ministry and just invite the Holy Spirit uh, to, to set us free from that. So that's the invitation for ministry if you'd like to stay and do that. For the rest of us, let's hug each other. Say farewell to one another and thank you for our time together. Thank you.